Welcome to this New Scientist-sponsored podcast, the last in our series exploring how the UK has transformed its ecosystem for clinical trials to make it a world-leading destination for a new era of medicine. My name is Justin Mullins, and this week I'm talking to a woman for whom this environment is enabling cutting-edge life sciences research and development. Dr. Mel Iverson is Chief Development Officer at the global biotechnology company Moderna, a pioneer in a new generation of vaccines based on messenger RNA and a company that has recently begun a billion pound research and development program in the UK. We're going to get into the details of this investment and how Moderna chose the UK. But first, Mel Iverson, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Moderna is a relatively young company working at the cutting edge of life sciences research. Tell me about the company's journey to this point. So Moderna has an extraordinary story as a biotech. We're about 13 years old and we were put together um, to really try and understand the promise of mRNA technology and the value it could bring in the development of vaccines and therapeutics, uh, new medicines. We all became aware of mRNA during the pandemic, and that's in part because the work that had been done a decade prior to the pandemic enabled our researchers um, to develop a vaccine unbelievably quickly to help fight the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And that went on to be licensed um, in the UK and around the world as one of the vaccine solutions to the COVID-19 pandemic. And that must have been a big inflection point in the history of the company. It's a huge inflection point. We had run a number of vaccine programs, mostly in flu, prior to the pandemic. And we were starting to explore the potential of mRNA in other areas such as rare disease and oncology and other viruses, the latent viruses such as cytomegalovirus. But the inflection point, knowing that actually we had our first signal of efficacy in an mRNA vaccine, which was through the development of our COVID-19 vaccine, was a huge inflection point for the company. And we now have over 45 programs in development across infectious disease, um, our respiratory portfolio, rare disease and oncology. So you've chosen the UK as the home for a new manufacturing facility and R&D facility. What are the factors that brought you to the UK? So we're building the Moderna Innovation and Technology Centre here in the UK in Harwell. And in 2021, as we were coming out of the pandemic, and we were starting to look at the potential of our portfolio and our clinical pipeline, we realized that we needed to have a more global view on how to develop our pipeline. We started to look globally at where we might want to sort of set up additional investment. And it was a very thoughtful search. The UK stuck out to us uh, really very prominently. It has an incredibly progressive regulator. The quality of the clinical trial work done in the UK is very, very high. We have excellent data access records through the NHS and everything combined, along with an extraordinary willingness and enthusiasm to invest in the life sciences sector, meant that the UK was an obvious choice. For Moderna. So let's drill down into some of those factors. That you must have been comparing the UK to other locations that are all competing on a global landscape for this kind of research. How did you consider those factors in a more detailed level? So there are many great locations in the world for running clinical trials. 
The UK is a leader because of its progressive regulator. Um, the MHRA have really been a world-leading uh, independent regulator. We've also seen the importance in the UK around running very diverse clinical trials, the way they rallied during the COVID-19 pandemic and the way they set up patient uh, awareness and information was incredibly impressive. We know also that there is a real interest in doing clinical trials in the UK. And so it has everything together in one place, in one location, um, which was really where the UK sort of shone out for us. And when you say a progressive regulator, what do you mean by that? So the MHRA, um, as a progressive regulator, is because they act really independently as they should. They're incredibly interested in the science and understanding the promise of mRNA as a platform. They were you know, one of the first in the world to approve a COVID-19 vaccine, and they've gone on to really value the importance of public health research and and such the development of mRNA as a technology. And they've begun to rethink some of the ways they approach clinical trials, haven't they? They have. And we've really welcomed the findings of the Lord O'Shaughnessy report, which has shone the spotlight on the MHRA and the need for funding, as well as more standardised timelines for the approval of clinical trial applications and indeed the approval of uh, new licences for vaccines and therapeutics. And how important are predictable timelines in your work? Well, they're incredibly important because when you're setting up a clinical trial, particularly globally, knowing when you will get um, approval enables us to have everything ready to go as quickly as possible. And then the same way, having licenses approved within standard timelines is enormously impactful because then it allows us to know when those vaccines and therapies could be available to the patients and participants. And that particular area, the approval timeline, has changed significantly in the last couple of years in the UK, hasn't it? There is indeed an increased focus on reducing down the approval timelines and making those much more standard. I think it was hard for all regulators around the world coming out of the pandemic. They had put so much focus and effort on COVID-19. They really did an incredible job optimising their timelines and being available to manufacturers and, and working with sponsors during the pandemic. When they came out of the pandemic, there was quite a backlog globally. Everyone was experiencing that. And the MHRA have really focused on how to get back on track and even exceed their previous um, timelines, which is very impressive. You mentioned the NHS as a factor in your decision. It's an unusual organisation. It's part of the kind of social fabric of the UK. And it also has a diversity that's unusual as well. How important are those factors for you and why? You're absolutely right. The NHS is incredibly unique and very important to us. The ability for us to be able to conduct clinical trials across the whole of the United Kingdom is really important to us. We want to be able to bring informed clinical trials to around the United Kingdom. And diversity is really important to us. So for all of our clinical trials, we actually look at the diversity and inclusion characteristics of a trial. During the pandemic for our COVID-19 trial, we actually ensured that our trial was representative of the population. For us, that actually meant stopping enrollment five weeks in of white participants to allow people of, from communities of color to enter into the trial really quite a bold step in the middle of a pandemic, but we felt it was really important that our vaccine and our trial was conducted 
in the population that the vaccine was intended to be available for. We've gone on to repeat that across our entire portfolio. It's really important to us. And it's also really important to the UK and the NHS. And patient enrolment, there's been a lot of new thinking about how that can be done in advance and so on. Tell me about the importance of that for your work. So obviously across our portfolio, that's very broad. It's divided into two main categories. Most of our vaccines are tested in healthy populations and sometimes more focused on an older population or a pediatric population. For those, it's about going out into the community and making those trials available to people who'd be interested in understanding and being wanting to be part of a trial. We also have um, mRNA therapeutics. And for those clinical trials, we're focused on patients with a specific disease, such as cancer or a rare disease, such as propionic acidemia. And for those trials, we work very closely with specialists through hospitals and networks across the country, identifying patients who would be potentially eligible to enter into our clinical trials. Um, and the work of the NHS and their ability to identify patients and for the the doctors who are part of our clinical trial to work with their own patients is really important. There is a, a new era approaching of data management on a different scale with all kinds of new and exciting, well, interesting tools for data management. How are you approaching this? Well, absolutely. And we are a very, very much pride ourselves on being a digitally enabled company. And so we're really pleased that the NHS is also focusing on AI and machine learning and identifying patients and exploring the vast data sets that are available to the NHS, which are really quite unique in the, the, the vast amount of data that the NHS has available. So we are working both as Moderna and with the NHS on how you understand that data better. And in the case of digital outreach, how we can make trials more accessible and available to patients through the digital tools, apps, things like that, that make it life much easier for them. You mean things like remote enrollment? That remote enrollment, uh, reminders, being able to enter patient reported outcomes, um, all of those things that it's so much easier for, for people to do on a phone now. Mm -hmm. The diversity element of all this is also relevant to digital enrollment because there are the people who are digitally enabled and those who aren't, and they are often divided along social lines. How do you control for that? They are often thought to be. In many of our clinical trials, though, we have actually shown that the ability or the use of um, technology and digital enablement, the barriers that one might expect around age, for example, in fact, haven't materialized for us. We ran a trial in older adults and found that 97% of participants were able to accurately and compliantly use the digital technology made available to them, which was the same as a, the general broader population of the clinical trial. So we work hard to ensure that there's user testing of our um, technology um, so that any digitally enabled tool is available for everybody. So let's talk a little bit more about the potential for messenger RNA and therapeutics and vaccines. What kind of diseases and conditions are you able to treat that weren't possible to treat before? So we have a, a broad and diverse portfolio in the therapeutic space. So we're looking at rare diseases such as methamelonic acidemia and propionic acidemia. These are really ultra rare conditions and we have clinical trials in both of those ongoing in the UK at the moment. 
We're starting to look at that data and try and understand the therapeutic benefit of mRNA, which at this time is starting to look encouraging. We're also seeing our cancer portfolio expand. Um, we have a program for our, what we call an individualized new antigen therapy. And this is a, a completely new concept within cancer care where we actually sequence an individual's tumor. And um, we've got trials ongoing in melanoma and lung cancer at the moment. And we then create a very specific, unique vaccine for that individual that, that is just for that individual. Um, and we have you know, phase three trials ongoing in that area at the moment. As and well. how, how big are those trials in the UK? That will de depend on how many participants were able to get into the trial. I mean, globally, there are about a thousand patients. And you're building a new facility in, in Harwell. Um, how's that going? Really well. We did the groundbreaking last year. The campus will consist of sort of three main areas. There's a manufacturing site, which will ultimately produce about 100 million doses of vaccines a year. And that could be increased to 250 million, for example, in a, in a pandemic. It also, we're building a biomarker lab. Uh, that was actually constructed up in the Newcastle area and brought down um, on 52 different lorries as, as a sort of a modular units and connected together. And then we'll have some office space for our colleagues who will be located there. And how many people will be based there when it's complete? Um, it will range between about 100 to 150 uh, across the whole of the sort of UK life sciences ecosystem. So we'll have up to about a sort of 100 between manufacturing and the labs. But we're also investing in R&D colleagues, fellowships, PhD studentships um, across the UK life sciences ecosystem. And when are you expecting it to be finished? I am really hopeful that the lab will be up and running this year and the manufacturing site will hopefully open next year. And Harwell is an interesting choice. Why, why choose Harwell? We chose Harwell because there's a lot of other sort of vaccine and technology skill set in that area. We looked across the sort of the United Kingdom um, and when it came down to it, Harwell seemed the right place for us at this time. So just to explain, Harwell, for our international uh, listeners, is near Oxford in the southeast of England, part of the Golden Triangle. And uh, that presumably is an attractive option as well, nearby these world-class facilities. Yes, for... I mean, obviously, where you have world-class academic institutions and science is at the centre of everything we do. It's got good transportation links. But from there, we will be working with researchers and scientists and sites and physicians across the whole of the United Kingdom and the devolved nations. And in terms of building partnerships with these institutions, how will that work? So we have various programs that are very proactive. So we have an mRNA access program, which allows researchers in UK institutions such as Oxford, Imperial, Surrey, um, and others that we're talking to, to work with our scientists to uh, create mRNA vaccines that they're interested in running preclinical work on. And we, we create that vaccine for them and send it to them. And we have partnerships around our clinical trials. We look for clinical trial sites around the whole of the United Kingdom. We are also building our biobank and biomarker lab, which will be part of our Harwell campus. And that will also include collaborative research projects with scientists around the United Kingdom. And then we've got a skills and training program, investing in fellowships, PhD studentships and internship programs 
as we really have an ambition to um, enable the UK to be a global leader in mRNA research, development and manufacturing. So education is an important part of this, not just for regulators and scientists, but for the public as well to understand what it is they're getting. How important is that for you and what is what are your plans in that respect? It's huge. Um, I think we've all learned about mRNA in the last few years, but I think that education needs to continue. Uh, so we're working closely with the Health Securities Agency and the NIHR looking at the possibility to have educational programs, doing some investment in research around vaccines and therapeutics and mRNA, and how we can help ensure that people feel informed and educated about this technology. And given all of this investment, what does the future look like for Moderna? Oh, the future at Moderna is incredibly exciting. When I joined the company four years ago, I don't think anyone would have thought we would have such a vibrant and exciting pipeline that we're about to bring into human clinical testing. It is unbelievably exciting for all of us. It's an incredible company with an incredible culture. And I'm really excited that we've chosen to build this very unique Moderna Innovation and Technology campus here in the UK. And the ultimate goal is healthcare. And how does this landscape for clinical trials in the UK translate into healthcare? We will be trying to conduct as many of our clinical trials as we possibly can in the UK. And that's part of the investment we want to make. We believe that the UK, the investment in the life sciences ecosystem and all the reasons we've already discussed, makes it a really excellent place for conducting high quality clinical trials. And then that's also leads into providing access to those vaccines and therapeutics in the UK as part of that. And I think the evolution of healthcare and the new technologies such as mRNA is, is going to be part of how we see healthcare evolve for the UK. And this has a global impact as well. If you can get things approved and quickly and successfully, it has a global impact. How important is that? I think we saw through the pandemic that viruses don't understand borders. They cross them pretty quickly. Part of our respiratory portfolio is looking at vaccines against RSV, flu, the evolution of COVID. We've seen the impact that has on the NHS. And what we want to do is work with the government and healthcare officials to enable them to have solutions to the impact that these respiratory viruses have. So developing combination vaccines or vaccines that target those particular respiratory threats. Norovirus is another really good example of a virus that has a big impact, but it's not just in the UK, it's around the world. Um, we have similar investments or in the and manufacturing partnerships with the governments in Australia and Canada. Um, we continue to partner very strongly in the US where our headquarters are based, but around the world, we want our vaccines and therapeutics to be accessible to patients. And I mean, we're coming to the end of our podcast. I wonder if I'd give you the opportunity just to map out a vision for the future for Moderna and for mRNA healthcare in the medium term. The science and the technology have really led us to develop that portfolio. Um, and it is a true platform that enables us to meet the threat of any future pandemic as we did for COVID-19. It allows us to invest in really important healthcare problems such as the impact of flu, RSV, norovirus. It allows us to explore the possibility of developing really impactful treatments in the fields of cancer um, and rare disease. 
that's an extraordinary thing to be able to do with one technology platform. Mel Iverson, thank you. That's all we have time for, I'm afraid. That was fascinating. And thank you all for listening. If you've missed any of the podcasts in this series, you can catch up on our website at newscientist.com. This podcast was sponsored by the UK Department for Business and Trade and the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency.